You're listening to Power Athlete Radio, a podcast dedicated to empowering your performance every damn day. Join former NFL pro and Power Athlete founder John Wellborn as he dissects the greatest minds in strength, conditioning, and more. Joining him is everyone's favorite coach and hair model, Chris, a.k.a. Tex McQuilkin, Power Athlete's Director of Performance. So whether your goal is to be the hammer, destroy mediocrity, or simply move the dirt, you've come to the right place. Now with the warm-up done, let the gains begin. Hey, Power Athlete Nation. I am John Wellborn. Founder. Nerd. <laughs> <Fucking> nerd. <laughs> founder of Power Athlete. Also, 10-year NFL player, 9-year starter, and all the other good stuff, but also co-host of Power Athlete Radio. And this is our Halloween edition, as you can tell. Or maybe can't, if you're, you're watching on if YouTube. you're watching on YouTube, uh, I was really trying to go for Revenge of the Nerds, but my tri-lamb sweater did not show up. So I had to rock this 1970s pink polo that I stole from my dad many years ago. And obviously my glasses, which are like blue blockers where they get lighter and darker. And but a I little fe- boy part down the middle. I did. I got a little butt putt, uh, what, uh, a butt cut reloaded but it looked a lot better when my hair was wet but i've been waiting for you to get your makeup ready so my hair dried i know i'm all dolled up dude you're ready to go you're looking like latimer i'm a little upset that you're not wearing your latimer jersey oh i thought you were gonna say did steroids (laughs) (laughs) you're kind of the pre-latimer before he decided to get on the juice yeah i'm three years special team it's like midsummer and I'm realizing I got one more year left in my career. Well, it's like your Latimer's. I've never sat at the table. Well, it's like your Latimer's uh, lesser known roommate who also paints his face, but we don't see anything about him because he's on special teams. Yeah. One of those guys, which they don't show those clips in no. that movie or any other movie because it's a special team, except for the water boy. Special teams, <laughs> do laps. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> I do like the Waterboy. I forgot about the Waterboy. We were talking about favorite football movies the other day. We went with Any Given Sunday and then Revenge of the Nerds, which is my other favorite football movie. I, I know you're reaching, and that I think was the recency theory with your costume. Uh, I have rocked some version of the Revenge of the Nerds as many times as I can think of, like for costumes. Uh, I've gone as, uh, you know, obviously we're, you know, a tri lamb right now, but now Alpha Beta, Ogre. Was a great one with the ripped off sleeves off of the uh, leather jacket. Alpha Beta, I yeah. just picked up on that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the tri lambs and the Alpha Betas and the Omega Moose. So I got the Latimer face paint. He did multiple games. I felt this is the most appropriate because it's the skull. And what this was not was the spit scene. If you recall yeah, that they one, spit each other's him mouths. and Mac. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's Mac. standard. Well, yeah, he went. Uh, yeah, this is skull power athlete. You know what I didn't. I meant to hit the lightning bolt, but you rushed me in my makeup room. Uh, well, you know, we got places to go and people to do. Yes. Well, we hit a Halloween hotline special on the Instagram, so we got some solid gold questions from the audience. I'm excited. All right. Let's lead <laughs> this one off with some story time. Oh, you know, I do love telling me a story. Well, you've been in a lot of white rooms in your career. You've seen a lot of shit. You've done a lot of shit with some guys that have seen some shit. We can just say that. Okay. What are some of the scariest training stories that you've either experienced, seen, or heard about? Oh, man. I can think of two that were pretty gnarly. One happened to me and another one happened to another guy. Andy Jacobs, who was our linebacker at Cal, real strong, uh, real, real strong dude. Um, he was a big uh, thumb around guy on the bench press because he felt like he could get his elbows into a better position. 
and I think he had like 425 on the bar. Um, I was spotting him. And I remember like he had a ton, like, I mean, when you watch, like now when I bench, I mean, I'm real big on like lining up the knuckles with the elbows and this, just cause when you bench heavy, you get, you gotta be extremely technical. Cause if you dump the weight or you're in a bad position, you're gonna fuck yourself up. So he's going for a big max 425. He had his thumbs wrapped around and had his wrist really torqued this way. And as he brought it down, he kind of had this like weird position where he'd get to a point and then like his humorous head would stop and he would kind of just like bend his elbow back. Gross. It was uh, it was a gnarly bench press. And uh, what happened, all of a sudden he's coming up, wrist does this, he drops it with just one side on his rib, hits his rib cage, and I caught it on the bounce and was able to pull it off of him, uh, broke his rib. Damn. And uh, on one side, fucked him up pretty good. Um, if he had dumped both, it would have looked really ugly. You know, about that time, uh, there was a kid at USC who was, uh, I think it was a running back, mm-hmm. ended up dumping it, both of them landing on his throat and never played football again. So I have cautioned people against that thumb under grip uh, as many times as I could. I mean, when as soon as I see it, I'm almost at the point where like, if I'm training with you, you're training a power athlete or I'm training an athlete. I mean, to the point where, I mean, we would teach, uh, you know, bench press at the CrossFit football seminars when people would do floor it. Floor press. Would, yeah, floor press. When people go to do it, we would stop them, hand around, just do it like this. I want to grab it here because if a bar dumps, at least I have a thumb to catch. And then I can work on doing it. But we have seen people dump this way, but the thumb will actually push it away a little bit. And usually if your spotter's, you know, pretty keyed in, he can catch it. But um, that was a pretty gnarly one. Um, another one happened to me. Uh, this was uh, pretty early on. Um, I was wearing wraps, squatting way too heavy, had the belt way too tight. This has kind of taught me a little bit about like internal pressure. Uh, we went for a max rep set. I think I was trying to do, you know, set of five and ended up, you know, we were real big on the uh, one more, give me one more. So I ended up, I think Adam Nelson. Yeah. Uh, but we were wearing belts and wraps, which creates a ton of pressure and tension and I think I was maybe 17 because I remember there's a formal or a prom, uh, um, some you know date picture that I have where my eyes are completely red because on rep 10, I was holding my breath. I blew all the blood vessels in my eyes. So like my eyes are blood happen. red and I was holding my breath. You know, we were big like, you know, and I wasn't breathing at the top. I was just holding my breath one more, sitting in, bouncing off of the wraps, had the belt on real tight, created a ton of internal torque, ton of internal pressure, and I wasn't breathing. And I ended up blowing all the blood vessels in my eyes. I, like, got none, and my partners were like, what the fuck? Went home. My face was, was like, I had broken blood vessels on my nose, all over my eyes. I remember Dave Tate telling me, that's a good squat session when you blow blood vessels in your eyes. And I'm like, no, I mean, I probably... You know, maybe did some damage, but something to think about. So those two were uh, two that come to mind immediately. Yeah, I, I had a few. This, none I've experienced in a weight room, but I suppose have taught me some lessons. So I use getting paint all over the place. The uh, well, What's weird is when you have face paint, and I've painted my face for Halloween before, you never realize how much you touch your face until you actually put face paint on and then you're like where did why exactly. is my fucking hands yeah the microphone computer i didn't realize how much i put my mouth on the microphone until i had this teeth painted <laughs> the 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 first one my first job was a corporate wellness gig as you can imagine awful it sucked the worst part about it we had to test pressure of all the not the bosu balls what do you call those the um 
inflatable curls. We use them for, uh, or physio ball curls, inflatable balls. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Physio uh, balls. Yeah. 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 They're called physio balls. Yeah. And we had to check the pressure of them. So basically like you're measuring somebody's waist and I was like, what the hell? We had to do this every day. This sucks. Well, the company was sued by a patron because they were doing dumbbell bench press on the physio ball, double dumbbell. The ball pops because it was inflated too much mm -hmm. and he falls down and then breaks both forearms. This is some corporate wellness gig. So just a, a patron, a worker mm -hmm. and uh, sued the company. So then with sued the physio ball company, not the physio ball company, the, the person that had the contract uh, that to my because it company, wasn't the proper inflation. Yeah. So then we the had to check it every single feels day. Feels pretty cunty. Yeah. Well, just avoid stupid stuff like that. And there was always yeah. a meme going around of people doing barbell back squats on those things about the same time, but mm -hmm. just very tedious tasks that deflated my enthusiasm for that job. Mm -hmm. See wow. what I did there. Uh, the other one. No, I, I heard it. It was awful, <laughs> but keep going. <laughs> Don't mind me. Uh, another, it, it was at, it was at UT during my internship. We had four dudes with the same injury of their groin, their hmm. muscle, their bone getting pulled off the pelvis, uh, their groin muscle. So like was so yep. intense. And then I saw the reverberation of these four receivers going down and how that negatively affected like a junior quarterback in his make or break year. And then the, the head coach, and it was just this giant uh, ripple effect of performance and I mean, you could trace it back down to the training program. If it's yeah. the same injury, the same. Yeah. If you have four people with the exact same injury, there's a good chance that they're all doing the same training, that the training is to blame. And it's just not something freak that happens. Yeah. So seeing that uh, and how it negatively affected like the junior quarterback, the coach and all this, this it was massive. So while I, I suppose I did have part of it because it was coaching that summer with all those dudes that ended up getting hurt. But uh yeah, it's seeing it, and you develop a relationship with the guys, mm -hmm. and then shit, it's just a, a, a unfortunate opportunity for a lot of people on the team, you know, especially the seniors, because that's it, um, and the head coach. But freaking wild, I always uh, affected that. And the other is stories. So back to uh, Georgetown coaching career, where pull-ups. One of the head coaches that I was involved with with the sport, pull-ups was not allowed to be in the training program. And as one of our power athlete foundational yeah. movements, the vertical pull. Why? Uh, I'm, I'm going to get to that. Essentially, so a kid was rocking pull-ups and broke his ankle. Mm. Why feet, do we think feet his feet were crossed? And yeah. uh, this was part of the seminar in which we taught just effectively getting the kids in set up in a dorsiflex ready position to land. Sure. So they broke their ankle during pull-ups. So pull-ups were stricken from the workout cards not because of the pull-up, but because, you know, a kid was just lost focus for a moment or fatigued. Who knows what happened? But uh, the ankle went down, and so did the pull-up, wow. unfortunately. Yeah, I mean, that was a big one. Uh, we saw a lot of people at the CrossFit football seminar that didn't have good wherewithal. Like, if you train in gyms often enough, uh, you see a lot of crazy shit. Actually, this morning, uh, Sam Flaherty is at the gym sending me pictures of some guy who was on top of the pull-up rig trying to do inverted push-ups like it's like, awesome. like on top of the you rig. mean horizontal rows yeah uh, he was on top 
But yet what he was doing was he actually like, you know, the handles you do pull-ups on was on top of the rig, basically in a free, like a push-up position, but freestanding his leg or his legs, like in like. So he was like holding that like a gymnast, gymnast in the and, ring and trying to do push-ups on top. And she's like this fucking guy. And I told her, I'm like, shoot video and send it to Instagrammers in the wild. Or in, uh, influencers in the world. Do you even lift? There's a number of pages. Oh, there's so many. I, I was like, dude, shoot the video and send it to me. I would love to fucking post this and send this in. Uh, just because if you work at a commercial gym, you're going to see a lot of wild shit. I've seen a lot of people injure themselves just by not understanding etiquette, training, and just improper manners. Um, I think ego gets in the way. Or what happens is, is people see crazy shit and they think, I'm going to do crazy shit. But like, do crazy shit in the comfort of your own house where nobody can video you and make fun of you. I don't think they know it's crazy. Um, maybe they're crazy. Uh, but the amount of it, like, here's the one that I, I continuously see and can't fucking fathom. So when I lift weights, there's always like a, a survivability. Like there's always like a game plan. Like you got six, seven, 800 pounds in your back and you're thinking to yourself, if I, if I go sit down with this and I can't stand up, what's my exit plan? Obviously you have spotters. You know, maybe you're in a rack. I mean, whatever it looks like. So the amount of times I've seen dudes come down and actually ditch the bar over their head mm -hmm. by like the, you know, their chest goes down and they try to like pull their head out. It, it just, it like, it's the amount of times I've seen it, like that's never once even crossed my mind as like the escape method for that. Like if the bar is heavy and I get into a position and it starts to break, I'm going to throw it back. And go forward and try to get away from it. Ditching it over the head. Shit, I saw a video the other day on Instagram of a dude ditching like 700 pounds. He got to the bottom and ditched it over his head. I, I like the bar. Ditches it over as he's trying to get out. The bar bounces off and hits him square in the top of the head and drove him straight back. Like, I just don't understand the wow. lack of survival instincts. Well, even I've seen that with female athletes in ponytails. Yeah. And holy smokes, that rolling bar just gets wrapped up in the pulling belt and whips them. Yeah forward yeah so there's there's got to be a need for you know if you're going to lift heavy weights you got to understand how to survive and ditching a bar overhead uh overhead like like that one i i cannot think of a single time uh where that's ever i mean but what happens is the hips come up the back breaks and you know as you're doing this the bar only has one way to go so i always feel like if i get to the point where like the hips start coming up and i can't get the chest back I just basically dump the hips forward and shoot it back as far as I can. Have you ever or heard have spotters? Also true. Well, we have also witnessed, I think, 400 or 500 pounds get thrown backwards on Mr. Luke Summers. Oh, dude, at uh, one of our first Occupy Strengths in Naperville, uh, we would always ask people, because we were lifting with bumper plates, hey, if you get stuck, do you want to ditch it or do you want a spotter? And the guy... Uh, said, hey, I want spotters, which means that if I can't get stuck, they're going to take the weight off. The guy gets stuck, and what does he do? He throws the weight off, and Luke's behind him spotting, and like like 400 pounds or 500 pounds landed in the crook of Luke's arm, like a dynamic Zercher squat, and he fucking dumped it. Almost killed that fucking dude. And I'm like, dude, he's like, oh, I forgot there were spotters. I'm like, you fucking called for spotters. Mm -hmm. Put your fucking head out of your ass. A Zercher clean. Yeah, that was gnarly. Um, so at that point, uh, I think at that point we had no back spotting and I was like, here's the deal. Uh, we're going to do side spots only no back spotting. And if the guy wants to ditch it, just step the fuck away. 
Um, you know, I mean, like, like at that point, I don't want, you know, volunteers and people trying to help. So, man, there's, um, uh, you know, it's, uh, you go back and forth. You're going to lift heavy weights. No, you know, get spotters, know how to lift it. Don't do stupid shit that'll potentially get you killed in a training environment. Yeah. And a training a competition environment, I was also thinking and back to our podcast with Brandon Lilly and speaking to his injury during competition and both of his knees given out under that load. So that was pretty gnarly. Yeah. I mean, that's, um, if you ever watched the video, I remember when it happened, uh, it's, you know, and to hear Brandon tell the story, you know, he cut a bunch of weight to try to make it. He hadn't been training. He'd been traveling around and wasn't really ready. And they called him and, you know, kind of wanted him to show up and do this lift. And, you know, he ends up getting, you know, blowing both patellar tendons with, you know, 800 pounds on his back. And, uh, you know, thank God he had good spotters and, you know, but when you go to those powerlifting meets that are legitimate powerlifting meets, not like that hacked fucking Occupy Strength shit we did, but like, you know, these dudes that are spotting them are all eight, 9,000 pound squatters, you mm-hmm. know, training in groups. I mean, they fucking know how to take the deal. So it was, uh, you know, I mean, they definitely saved his life if they hadn't, but I mean, he, as he unlocks, he blew both of those knees. It was, uh, it was a pretty savage deal. Yes, episode 553, Power Athlete Radio, Hypertrophy for the Soul. Yeah. Was that one. So, um, but yeah, the uh, the one where I've seen really people really fuck them up is that thumb around. I can't ever think, I mean, I know people bench that way, but like just the inherent benefit far outweighs, you know, the the danger for it. I mean, the amount of people I've seen break ribs, lose the deal. I mean, Andy Jacobs, I mean, shit, broke his rib. I mean, he, he was, uh, you know... Going to be a starter, probably had a chance to play in the NFL. I don't know if that derailed him, but it definitely slowed him down and fucked him up. Yeah, and just thinking of this right now, one of the first lessons I do teach when introducing the barbell to a high schooler is unloading, how to unload the barbell. Because, I mean, if you have more than 90 pounds, so two plates on each side, any more than that, if I unload and free fall, that barbell becomes a weapon to the next rack over. Yeah. And that could do some serious freaking damage. Yeah, normally a barbell, a good barbell in a in a standard size rack, you can take off, you know, two plates. So you can go empty at 90, anything more than that. But then it's even then it's a little dicey. And if it's a cheaper bar or a smaller rack, but like on our racks, you can pull two off of them and leave 90 on one side and no balance. But it's never a good idea. Yeah. Um, but I mean, even the amount of people that I've seen that don't know how to put uh, plates on and off a bar like watching kids uh, try to pull them and get in different positions and end up uh, as they're pulling the plate on, leaving their hands and getting their fingers stuck. Um, I think a big part of uh, training is gym etiquette, knowing how to unload and load stuff, not doing things stupid, knowing how to spot people. Um, there's definitely some gym etiquette associated with it. I don't know if it's taught as much anymore just because, uh, you know, people are in global gyms and, you know, people got on headsets and, you know, they're not as apt to kind of go into the situations like I did, you know, going in as a young dude in his Angus's and having to rack weights, just trying to find the etiquette and fit within the group. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not really a fan of the loud music in there so we can hear yeah. different things. Well, um, everybody's got their headphones on anyway. So why the fuck do they even need to play music? Well, oh, in a Globo? Yeah. I, I can tell you the last oh. time I've been in one. Well, last time I was at Gold's Gym, the music was awful. It was like, you know, they're, well, that's what they're trying to do. They're like, put your headphones on. So we don't want anybody talking to anybody. Well, the, uh, I think they have to pay. And I, I think that it came out, uh, cause I asked them, I'm like, why is this music so terrible? And the guy said, well, we have to pay for music. So this is the free stuff. 
So like normally if you like stream music in a, in a gym, you have to pay for a commercial license. So it's kind of like uh, for the business, like if we want to use, you know, like we pay we, for that service to use canned music that's paid for. And that's where I'm, I'm tracking. Yeah. So I think that's why the music's so awful because they have a streaming service and this is what they can commercially play. Well, I think like our gym, if they just played Spotify and let the commercials go, a lot of people would lose their shit. <laughs> just pay for that, dude. <sighs> I was so cheap for so long in terms of not playing for Spotify that it actually became kind of like a shtick. And then what happened was, uh, you know, because we pay for all this streaming shit. And then I went on that motorcycle ride with Matt Vincent and we like plugged our phones into the bikes and we stopped somewhere. And all of a sudden, like I'm listening to Spotify, it like stops for the commercials. And Matt and his girl and George Bryan and the other people I was with all turn and look at me and they're like, you cheap, you cheap motherfucker. Nerd. And like just literally. That's what broke the camera. That's what back. broke me. I, it, it was pretty much uh, a little bit of public shame that they just. Well, yeah, we shamed you often. After well yeah but you guys I don't I don't I don't value your opinion in any way but Matt uh, Bonnie George uh, George Bryant and um, dude they were like and then Matt even kind of sat down and he was like hey dude intervention so, yeah he's like I don't do this very often because I try to stay out of people's lives but just pay for Spotify it's killing the entire entire group of the trip to hear your fucking commercials and I was like okay. If only we knew, he would have told Matt to. Dude, uh, if, you know, Indian Motorcycles flies me to San Francisco, I get on an an eight-day ride, and and, uh, it was actually stopping at a biker joint. And uh, we get off, and all of a sudden it's like, and then from Spotify. And and I'm like. Listen to this commercial for 30 minutes free. (laughs) And they just, like, all look at me, and they were just like, the look of anguish, disgust, uh, shame. Like, this just was all wrapped up into one. And I was like. You guys are right. It's time. I've listened to free Spotify for years, and finally, I'll make an account. I can just imagine the record scratch. Oh, it, it was like uh, uh, the like, head jerk. Yeah, it was like it was like somebody farting in church or something. It was just like everything got deathly quiet, and just the look of disdain and disgust. And then, then Matt had to have an intervention at that point. I was like, I'll pay the ninety nine cents. Because I got three months free, and it's like whatever. Like the first year, and then year. you're going to cancel. <laughs> <laughs> and then that's Harry Heppenstall. He cancels, and then he sets up a new account and cancels. I'm like, oh, I'm good. I like my playlist. All right. Yeah. Another question. Yeah, lay it on me. All right. Well, this could be involved in the Globo Gym. I have a training history on my back. I haven't been training consistently for the past six months. How do I best approach training again? Goal is to be strong and as lean as possible. Well, I think you got to balance your energy output with your expectations. Uh, If you've been off training for six months, there's a good chance that you've not only lost strength, but strength is if you've built a solid foundation, like on something like bedrock, uh, the strength will come back fairly quickly, assuming you've done the work in the forefront. The issue is going to come back with conditioning. So you have to get your body in shape to be able to train heavy and hard. So uh, if you haven't done anything, I would probably start uh, fairly conservative, three, four days a week. You know, maybe one day on every other, or like an every other day kind of deal, or maybe two days on, one day off. I'd start prioritizing a little bit of uh, um, a little bit of aerobic work, just trying to build a little bit of conditioning into it. Mm-hmm. And I would think start slow, like something like bedrock. Just go back on bedrock, do a basic linear progression, do some aerobic work, try to build a big base, 
and just be really conservative. The problem is, is that all of a sudden I haven't been training. People want to go hundred miles an hour. They jump in with both feet. I'm going to train six days a week. I'm going to do this and this and this, and then they get hurt. Mm-hmm. So that's where injuries come from. When we get a change in volume or a long layoff, and then all of a sudden, bam, I want to go hundred miles an hour. And then the problem is you're going to get overuse injuries. You're going to get fucked up. So take it slow and realize that it's going to be at least two for one. If you took six months off, it's going to at least be three months to get you back to where you want to be. So realize that, plan it out, say, you know what, I'm going to go every other day, two days on, one day off, whatever it looks like. I'm going to do a bunch of aerobic work, make sure that I build that big aerobic base and then be smart, just maybe a basic linear progression to try to get back and realize it's probably going to take me six months. Yeah. Goal or sorry, three months to get goal back to on. be strong is is a key here. And I, I think bedrock is the appropriate direction. If it's say somebody that's aiming to get into shape, like if it's new year, new you goals. New me, new you, new us, new we. Yeah. Then lean and able will be the direction. Yeah. And we we actually reorganized and took a new approach to lean and able, yeah. more of a grindstone model where we got two mandatory days, one upper, one lower. Mm-hmm. Still all with a dumbbell. And then some cardio, some strength focus, uh, and a little uh, GPP, Metcon style, some fun stuff in there, yep. all with a dumbbell. So his key term here, goal to get strong and as lean as possible, bedrock, and I imagine leading protocol based off that little goal. Yep. Awesome. Yeah, no, I mean, the, um, I, I think there's got to be a constant balancing of expectation. And I think people get a little bit out of whack with that and realize, I mean, if you took six months to get out of shape, I mean, we see this all the time. I haven't trained in 10 years and I've been training for three weeks. How come I can't see results? You're like, well, dude, at best it's two to one. If you spent 10 years on the couch, it's going to take you months. I mean, if it took you 60 months to get in shape. So, I mean, it's, um, you know, it's, it's just balancing. I think everybody thinks that the minute they turn on the faucet, the hot water is going to come, and it just doesn't. Uh, and especially as you get older, you know, maybe in your you know twenties and you've done a ton of training, you take some time off. I mean, um, I had a conversation with my daughter about this. You know, she's got to take a couple of weeks off from jujitsu, and she's like, "I'm going to be so far behind." I'm like, "Yeah, in the grand scheme of things, let's say you do this for ten years. What's a few weeks?" And especially, I'm like, "You're so new in this deal that maybe just going and watching and just you know visually participating, uh, you know, pays dividends." And then her coach gave her like a book on, uh, from uh, Salo Ribeiro, wrote this book on university jiu-jitsu. So she was going through it last night. But um, I think if you can balance the expectation and realize that, you know, if it's a two to one, if it took me six months, it might take me three. And then at least then you give yourself an accurate timetable. And if it happens faster, it happens faster, uh, which would be great. But if it doesn't, then you know what? You're, you're better than doing nothing. So uh, where, I, where I get worried is when people take long breaks and they start training and it doesn't come back right away and then they quit because they're like, oh, I'm never going to get back in shape. And then you realize, like, you know, I mean, you want to be lean and strong, but at the end of the day, training and, it, and exercise uh, is more about seeing body fat and it's more about, I mean, being strong is obviously the power, uh, is the, the platform at which we build life. But, you know, think about gray space, think about brain, think about health, all these other factors that contribute within training. So, um I have a deal where I just try never to let myself get out of shape, you know, and that's the Ed Wellborn. Yeah. That is my brother, which is wild. Cause you know, my brother ruptured his patellar tendon playing basketball over a little over a year ago. So he has to try to get back in shape. And it's funny. We talked the other night and uh, he's been back to running and it's been a little, it's been like 13, 14 months. And he constantly always says to me, dude, I can't believe you had the same injury and went back and started 16 games in the NFL a year later. 
He's like, it took me over a year to be able to go run again. And he goes, the fact that, you know, almost a year to the day you went out and started, uh, he goes, it just, he goes, I, I, I had no concept of it. I'm like, yeah, it was fucking a lot of work. Um, a lot of work goes into it. It also helps to be 23, 24 years old, not 50 years old, you know? I mean, there's definitely something with age and elasticity and health and muscle as we age, but being, being young is your greatest ally in this stuff. Yes. Well, speaking of being young and stupid, how do, how do you go about convincing a newbie to give a power athlete training program a shot when they're used to bro sciencing their way through the gym? You said young and stupid. And I saw a funny quote the other day that said, if you're not young and stupid, or if you're not stupid when you're young, what are you going to talk about when you get older? And so I was like, oh, I guess that allows us to be young and stupid when we're young. Um, I don't know how to fucking hack into bro science people because, uh, you know, there's so much fucking nonsense. Um, you know, I, I think the realistic deal is um, being able to provide a framework that lets allow people to work. I think with a lot of the bro science, because it changes so quickly and there's all these kind of things that people have inherently start believing within gyms. Um, like, uh, my favorite is, uh, you know, I get hit all the time. Like how much BCCA should I take? Uh, if you're eating a high protein diet, zero, do you want to take them? Sure. If you like the taste and you want them in your water, go do them. But at the end of the day, they're only really going to pay dividends if you're in a you know, if you're low on protein, if you're eating a high protein diet, it's just like kind of pouring water into Niagara Falls. Um, but, you know, there's bro science and I got to consume, you know, 50, 100 grams of BCCAs a day. But if you're eating one gram of protein per pound of body weight, it's kind of a waste. But if you like the taste, go for it. Um, the other big one is uh, beginners training, uh, you know, individual body parts. That's like that one has always killed me. So and because we did this. You know, we were pulling workouts out of Flex Magazine that the pros weren't even doing because we had, I was on a guy's podcast who actually was the writer for Flex Magazine. And he designed all of the workouts in Flex Magazine and just attached bodybuilders' names to them. Hmm. I was absolutely fucking destroyed because we followed Mr. Dorian Yates, you know, Road to the Olympic program that he wrote and Dorian Yates never did. It wasn't until we saw Blood and Guts years later that I was like, that doesn't the same program. But uh, the idea that, you know, that there's some magical body parts split, like you train like one body part, you know, I'm going to train quads today and you do it once every seven days, which I think for beginners is a terrible fucking approach. Um, if anything, um, you know, we do, uh, you know, not necessarily body parts because we're, we're, we're uh, prioritizing lifts in bedrock, but really the idea of training a full body. Um, I've always believed in training a full body. Now you can train push and pulls and there's a million different ways to break it up. But, um, you know, even for me personally, um, you know, we've added here at Power Athlete, we've added a certain uh, element into, into us lately when we're training, you know, uh, Victor Hugo and Sean D and these guys from Six Blades, um, you know, helping them with their strength and conditioning, which is cutting into our workout time. So they're coming three days a week from eight to 10, which is really our workout time. So now what I've done is I've moved my training to like Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, and Sunday. And uh, I basically just put together a full body split and kind of do like uh, intensity, volume, kind of upper and lower split on that. And it's been actually a pretty good program I've been testing. And uh, that's been actually playing pretty good dividends because now it allows me to, you know, go up and train with those guys the next day, bang weights and do a bunch of assault bike work. And then kind of every other day I'm doing something, whether it's, you know, with those dudes are in the gym. And I really think 
where people make a ton of mistakes, especially in the bro science, is looking at too advanced a programs, being like, hey, um, you know, um, uh, you know, this bodybuilder is doing this, you know, he's training one body part every seven days. Well, I mean, that's a fairly advanced lifter and trying to extrapolate what like the most advanced lifters on the planet are doing for more beginners. And I really classify most people, especially if you tell me, you know, guys hacking bro science, he's probably in that beginner category. Yes. And are, are you in person with him? Is this like a buddy from a distance? If you're in person, I say, Hey, why don't we go work out on Saturday? And you take him through what you're doing and show how weak his chunk is. If he's unable to do dead bugs, side builders and like, uh, take him through a shadow set and just fucking hammer him. Well, the other one, um, I believe that for most beginners and just most people in general, you need to use a balance of, uh, free weights and also machines. Um, I, you know, have always done most of the primary big movers for big, most multi-jointed big moving exercises are always done with free, with free weights. I do like to do accessory movements with machines and, you know, like we have, you know, cables and I'll do, you know, flies and a ton of uh, shoulder accessory stuff with, uh, with machines. You know, I got a hammer incline that I really like. And, you know, I, I, you know, we've been playing a bunch of the flywheel for leg extensions and leg curls. And so I really like those movements as accessory kind of primers or kind of a finishing type movements, but always the primary movers are going to be, you know, free weight, big single jo- or multi-jointed exercises. So I think what happens to with a lot of bro science and, you know, there's research to support that, you know, when you add stability to a movement, there's a greater chance of creating more hypertrophy. But for a lot of individuals, you have to be strong enough to lift heavy enough weights to drive adaptation. So, and there's a strength, there's a neural component of strength that happens from lifting heavy weights. So, you know, let's say you see a guy who's super advanced, it's been training for 20 years and he does nothing but machines. He's already done the work on the front side that's allowing him to reap the benefits. And so you looking at this individual and being like, hey, I'm going to follow this program, you're not going to get the same results. So I think that there is a maturation process and there really is um, like, uh, like a journey with strength training. And I think early on, if you don't prioritize the big movers and focus on the big lifts and the big multi-jointed exercises, um, I think you're leaving a lot of gains on the table. If you want to add some machines and some accessory movements before, after, you know, pre-exhaust or post-exhaust, I think that there's a place for that. But, you know, like we're, you know, training the guys from six blades, we bang a lot of free weights. And the reason being is we have to challenge posture and position and teach technique and load and universal athletic position and all these things. And we can only do that while allowing their body to move through space under load. If we just stuck them in machines, would they get stronger? Sure, but it wouldn't help develop them athletically. So there is a process that we have to go. And I think if you can follow the road and follow the process and, um, you know, like the, uh, um, you know, in Jack Street right now, we're doing a bunch of rest pause work. We'll, we'll get to that one. No, but I'm just saying like uh, in, in Jack Street, for example, we're, we're doing rest pause, which is one of my favorite forms of driving hypertrophy, which is like, hey, I need you to do six to 10 reps heavy. You're going to put the weight up, rest 30 seconds, and you're going to give me a max rep set. It's a great way to try to push the boundaries and try to add volume and intensity. And it's, I've used rest pauses for years. Um, that is a fairly intermediate to advanced training program. Most individuals who are fairly new, that's not the ideal program because they don't have the 
physical capacity to be able to drive enough into that extra set. So for most beginners, I just have them do the initial part rest and, you know, give me three or four sets because, you know, that's kind of a, a finisher where you've done all this kind of feeder sets, you've done all this volume on the bottom side and that's your top intensity set. So I think being able to understand and take a very real understanding of who you are and where you are in your training process and then finding the right program that meets your demands and your needs. And what Power Athlete's done since day one, even when it was CrossFit football, is we've paired programs with training life cycle. Where you are in your training journey, there's a proper program. Go too advanced, the results are gonna be shit. Stay on the beginner for too long, and it's gonna be too much bang in your head. So you have to follow the process. So for this individual, because he's following bro science, I put him back at day one, put him on bedrock, and I'd allow him to get really fucking strong. Because at the end of the day, it's a lot easier to get lean and jacked when you're really strong than it is to try to get strong when you're already lean. Yes. So be a good bro. And if it if it takes what it takes, you got to get back on the bedrock, train yourself yep. and train with him and show him where a base level of strength can take you eventually. Yep. All right. Good bro question. Next up, while we're on the topic of Jack Street... We spoke to what is currently happening on Jack Street. John, what is the future of Jack Street programming? So right now we're in a, a little bit longer of a mesocycle uh, or microcycle, however you want to look at it. But uh, it's really, um, I usually break Jack Street up into six-week cycles. We're actually in an eight-week cycle, and I got a two-week acclimation phase to get people ready for the rest pause and something that I called... Um, I think it's called transient hypertrophy, where it's just basically about driving a bunch of fluid, a bunch of pump work. So we're going to do this piece, which is going to be using rest pauses for our main lifts. We're going to hit a ton of accessory. And I'm a big fan of supersets and giant sets. So I usually try to keep the rest down 30 seconds, 60 seconds, 90 seconds, so I can do a ton of work in a short amount of time uh, on the accessory stuff. But we're going to hit this two weeks on using rest pause. And then in the back six weeks, we're going to start, once they get used to the transient hypertrophy, we're going to throw a little blood flow restriction in there. So I'm getting people ready. I'm priming them so that all of a sudden, when they get done with their big movers, we'll throw it on and uh, we'll get some uh, blood flow restriction, which I'm real excited about using our new cuffs. We spent two years in production of getting the cuffs at a good price and set up the way that I wanted. And I'm really excited about these. Yes, shop.powerathletehq.com yep. for those cuffs and preparing if you're on field strong as well. And yeah. grindstone, yeah, you and can and grindstone. expect to see some. Yeah. Uh, the, the big thing too, and I get emails on this all the time where people are trying to like time up cycles on Jack Street, just fucking get on it. Like, uh, like I, I think if you're waiting to try to jump into something, you're going to miss a ton. It's like, hey, I'm gonna, not going to show up to the party till midnight. Well, how do you know it might be the best part of the party is at 11? Just get in there. Just start. Just show up. You might be a little behind. You'll get caught up real quick. Trying to, like, time it up. Eh, like, it just, I don't know. I, I, like, I don't think that that's the mentality for it. Just get on the train. Keep riding it. And uh, you'll get caught up real quick. Um, you know, we do build upon each cycle. And, uh, you know, weeks build upon weeks. But there's always uh, directions in there. Like, hey, if you're brand new, take it this way. And you can always ask questions in the feed if you are new and you jump in mid-cycle. Okay. We got an interesting question here. It can go a number of ways, but it involves the Army ACFT and Field Strong and Secret Squirreling programs. Are you ready, John? I am ready. <laughs> I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready. 
I'm only doing field strong. I am maxing out all events on the ACFT test. The run, but the run. Currently sitting at 15 minutes and 20 seconds. The run for our listeners out there is a two-mile run. 15 minutes and 20 seconds. How would you add extra running and cardio to get that down to a 13-minute and 30-second while still crushing it on Field Strong? Well, Field Strong doesn't have any distance running in it. It's all basically lift heavy weights, plyometrics, and short sprints and uh, a bunch of dynamic stuff. So to assume that you could follow Field Strong and then go out and crush the run is kind of um, a little insane. Uh, if you are going to need to do some form of running, you're going to have to at some point put in a little bit more, you know, 400s, 800s, similar to what we do on Hammer. Just because, um, you know, you're rarely going to get anything over 80 to 100 yards in Field Strong. So as much as I would love to tell you that you could run nothing but 40s, 60s, 80s, and 100s and then go out and crush a two-mile run, um, I'm not going to make that statement. I mean, can some people do go out there and do it? Yes, we see it all the time. We see guys that can go out and run with max intensity and have capacity to be able to go out and run two miles and just get through it. Um, but I would say if that's you, and obviously it isn't because you're not crushing the run the way you felt you should, you're going to need to put some longer distances in there. So I would uh, take the same sprint mentality of field strong, but I would increase the distances by probably adding a zero to things. So if it says 40, run 400. If it says 60, run you know, 600. If it says 800, run eight, or uh, 80, run 800. I would just add a zero onto everything if you wanted an easy way to hack it. Or what I'd recommend is go jump into uh, Hammer. If uh, you will not lose any capacity, because Hammer puts a ton of uh, emphasis on strength, capacity, and movement. Not as much plyometrics. You're not going to get any Olympic lifting, but you're going to get a ton of dynamic pulling and uh, a fair decent amount of plyos on Hammer. On <laughs> I scratch it's so my face weird. So bad. Uh, I, I, I would recommend if really you're struggling to max out the run, move over to Hammer and see how you do. I don't think you'll lose much on Field Strong. You know, but the problem is, as much as I love all the programs, Field Strong is always holds such a dear place in my heart because it's so much of what the training I really enjoy. Uh, challenging and fostering athleticism, dynamic movement, plyometrics, being dynamic, compensatory acceleration, even though we use that in all programs. But that stuff and what we, we program on Field Strong is some of my favorite programming. I mean, it's what we use with our professional athletes. You know, if guys come in, um, they will always follow some version, you know, but it's going to be a field strong based upon their adaptation, where they are into this, you mm -hmm. know. And I mean, you know, like the new guys come in, we got to do some uh, climate, um, acclimatization training to get them up to where we want, you know, throw a little, you know, metabolic conditioning cycle in, get their conditioning through the roof and prepare them for more advanced training, which is really where I get excited. Yeah. And if you like the style, just try the adding zeros technique and then Saturdays, yeah. there's options. This yeah. is your SPP. You're training for this wonderful, accurate testing of abilities that is known as the ACFT. Uh, well, I mean, the new AC, ACFT has what it's, uh, they've changed it now. Oh yeah. They made it easier. Yeah. They made it easier. Uh, my recommendation when they were Do going the through old it is... <laughs> Just throwing pull-ups. You remember they had to get rid of the, the knee tuck hang in this. And I remember when I gave the talk at NDU, we could solve all these problems. You wouldn't have to buy any fucking trap bars. You wouldn't have to waste any money. You wouldn't have to change anything. Just put pull-ups into the training, pro, into the test, and we will fix all these problems. 
And yeah. they were like, why? And the guy, this guy, why is that? I'm like, cause you can't do a fucking pull-ups with a fat ass. That's why you don't see fat Marines. Is there research on that? Yeah. Yes, there is. <laughs> uh, I saw a really funny one got forwarded me yesterday. Uh, did you see that Matt Gertz? Who's that? Uh, Gertz is a great name. I w- uh, no, there was a, a, a congressman. They were asking him about. There's a congressman named Gertz? I think that's what his name is. <laughs> I, I'm, I'll fuck it up. I'm, I'm, I'm going to tell a story. Uh, yeah, I had a buddy in college, Gertz. He's great. Well, we had Jason I don't Gertz. I know his first name. Uh, Jason Gertz pl- uh, trained at the gym with us. He was the guy that uh, he and Nate got into it, and Nate fucking blew out his ankle. Gertz fucking laid him out. Gertz was like, I think he was a college wrestler, and Nate thought he was going to take him down, and fucking Gertz slammed him and fucked Nate's ankle up. That's when Nate was in a boot. I don't know if you remember this. No. I mean, we we tackled all the, the solid questions and provided some good directions here. Um, favorite Halloween candy, John. I know you're not a big sweets guy. Uh, not a huge sweets guy. But if you had a go-to. Because um, the price of candy has rose, risen a ridiculous amount. But just saying. If you had one go-to candy bar. Uh, if I had one, I'm a Snicker bar guy. I like Snicker bars. It's classic. Yeah, it's I'm, good. I'm not a real big like they uh, nailed that can, one. candy dude, but I do like a Snicker bar. Yeah. So like the little baby Snickers I'll eat. Yeah. I got to go Baby Ruth. Goonies. Baby Ruth's great. Got to avoid those at all costs though. Yeah. Cool. Cool. Well, ask and answered. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Power at the Video, unless you've got anything else. Well, just the beautiful hotline opportunity we have oh, to I'm connect so with us and answer some questions. Because, I mean, it's always hot. Yeah, if you want to jump Even in the hotline. Even if it gets cold this winter, <laughs> hotline. Yeah, if you want to jump in on the hotline, 929-464-464. Zero? 929-ing-ing. Zero? Easy to find. And that does it for our Halloween special. Uh, this is getting released right before Halloween. So, uh, yeah, be safe. All that jazz. I don't know. Don't be weird. I guess have some candy. Yep. And look out for fentanyl candy. I'll keep seeing all this fentanyl stuff. So for my kids, uh, I'm going to allow them to go get candy, but I'll give them candy when they get home. I'm just going to pitch their candy. Ah. Yeah. So I let them go out and trick or treat and then I grab it all and then I trade them for decent candy that I know is legit. Full candy bars? Uh, yeah. Full candy bars yeah, for the kids? I'll give them like two or three fulls if they give me all the little ones, or I'll let them just kind of pick it out. But, uh, man, at, at this day and age, like, one, I don't want to meet that much shit and that much junk. I mean, like, have you ever looked like, I mean, though, I know Sour Patch Kids and, and Sour Gummies and some of those stuffs are delicious. But if you're looking at the ingredients, it's not what I want. So I usually try to get them some decent chocolate and let them, like, I'll let them get them some C's candy. And I'll be like, I'll trade you your garbage candy for the C's candy. And then at least I know. C's candy, that's a California special. Oh, yeah. Well, I'm from California, so C's candy. They have one up in Round Rock that I'll, I'll go up to. Uh-huh. And I, I, I try to get them that for uh, holidays and different things. So that's how we roll. Yes. And we did, this is way throwback, John, episode 79 with Matt Lalonde, where we basically forced him at gunpoint during that Halloween episode to give us the most nutritional yeah. or I guess the best Halloween candy option, which then, I mean, he was very reluctant, but after we forced his hand, he went with peanut M&Ms. Mm, I do like a peanut m and As the least unhealthy option for a Halloween candy. 
Cool. All right. Well, that does it for another episode of Power Athlete Radio. Bye. Bye.